In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about Tyrese Maxey, how he'll fit with Joel Embiid once he comes back, and how his emergence can change the trajectory of the franchise. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined once again by Rich Hoffman, who is now back on East Coast for another edition of the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I am good. I've seen a lot of this great country of ours over the past seven days. That's not an easy road trip. There's, uh, I think you take it for granted. You know, when we travel to games, being able to go to MSG and just like, you know, we go to MSG, you take the train from 30th Street Station. I always say this, if you know the right exit to take out of MSG, you have to take like four steps in New York. It's it's a little more than four. It might be like 10, 15 steps. But from the exit of Penn Station to the media entrance of Madison Square Garden, that's easy. These places like Portland and Utah and Denver, no, no, no. No, <laughs> no they're not next to each other. No, no, no. Uh, so I did get to see a couple of arenas that I had never been to. I had never been to Portland and I had never been to Utah. Those are the two. And then, uh, and then Denver and Sacramento, Sacramento, cool arena and actually like a, a pretty cool area around the arena, yeah. which is, uh, which is cool because I think a lot of people said, you know, before in the Arco arena days, there it was much more desolate place. I oh guess. yeah. There well, I, I remember when I was out there, what was this? This would have been, 2019, like three or four months before the pandemic, November 20. So about two years ago when I was out there, what blew me away because I drove from where I, I think I drove from LA to Sacramento and sure driving, did. of course I did driving into people probably listen to this probably think I'm like scared of, of flying or something. No, I'm fine flying. I just like driving, but driving a little in p- little Pacific coast highway. Is that what you did? Yeah, yeah. 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 But driving okay. in there, like you would be, I, I was looking at my GPS and it's like, you are 10 minutes out from the arena. And I'm like, there's, there's nothing, there is nothing around being on an East coast guy. Like you don't expect that driving into a city. Uh, but once you got in there, it was a real nice area of town. It was real easy to get to. It was, it was a real nice arena, real nice arena. Nice arena. And they've got yeah, like yeah. a whole complex there built around it. A lot of food options, a lot of, they got like the, the state capitals there. Yeah. That's like a nice building to look at too. So yeah, not, not, I, I think Sacramento, I, I would say. As somebody who really likes to shit on other cities, I'm, I'm not going to shit on Sacramento too much. I, I think I'm going to shit on their basketball team in a little bit because they really stink. But uh, yeah, not not a bad place. And then Denver is the other one. And Denver is a very cool city. Yeah. The airport's a little too far from the, uh, it's from the city. It's but far. that's really my only complaint. Yeah. Nope. I was just in Denver, what, maybe three months ago as I was driving across country. I always try to stop by Denver when I'm... In the area. Uh, once again, another drive. Um, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> really, though, I have no problem flying. I just enjoy... Uh, anyway. Uh, that's so- good. All right, so that's how we started. You, you have no problem flying, but you like driving. I do. Uh, I do. I do. You know what the Sixers have a problem with? Here's a segue for you. Playing a game fully healthy. They, they have a little bit of a problem doing that. So... We're going to start this off by listening to all of last year's starters who were available last night against the Kings. Okay, we're done. All five were out. Ben Simmons obviously out so far for the entire season with personal reasons. Speaking of that, 
you know, it's funny because I think a lot of people were saying, ah, they were missing four or five starters. Doesn't it? It feels weird when you say like, ah, they're missing five of last year's starters. I never know whether to include Ben because I mean, it does go to show like he still is on the roster. So they are missing him. And they also haven't gotten any value from him. So from a practicality standpoint, it's definitely impacting their team. But on the other hand, he's never playing here again. So I don't know what we're, you know, and it's also like, look, I I don't think what Daryl Morey is doing, uh, the path he's taking is necessarily wrong. Like, like I've said a million times, we're gonna have to see how that plays out. But uh, it is a little bit of electing to not get any value from that sure. spot. So, yeah, I just never know whether to include him or not. Well, to you your know, point, I like listening to the broadcast. Um, they're saying four out of five starters are out. So they're already glossing over Ben. Yeah. But you can't gloss over him. He's It's a massive difference compared to last year. I mean, I remember the game they played in Sacramento a season ago. I actually don't remember if Simmons was available, but do you remember Thibel shut down Fox sure. at the end of that yep. game? I'm pretty sure they had everybody on that West Coast trip. I'm pretty sure they played in Portland on that trip as well. I mean, they did, they played with none of them. None of them. None of them. Uh, th- this is what blew my mind. Furkan Korkmaz was the highest paid player who was available in that game. He makes $4.6 million. He makes half of the mid-level exception. Um, I think if you added up all eight of the Sixers players, they made less than the Aaron Fox or Buddy Heald individually. They didn't have a lot of their talent. They had four summer leaguers, one of them who didn't even play because he was in like a contract dispute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the no, backup that's center who's who's playing pretty pretty well lately. Adam stunningly some, well. had some rough moments, I think, against the Kings, um, but he's playing pretty well overall. I would say any good moments and he's had some good moments is, is pretty well for what, what our expectations were for young Mr. Bassey. Yeah. It was a, uh, I, I guess before we get to Maxi, cause that's who we're mostly going to talk about today. Look, we on this podcast in writing on the radio, we have not been immune to talking about embarrassing losses from the Philadelphia 76ers. They are, they have had plenty of embarrassing losses throughout their uh throughout our run covering the team. Sure, anytime the the Spurs and the Mavs, anytime they came through during the process years, it was 40 or 50 points. Yeah, and that, that's one level of embarrassing loss. The the playoff series last year, that's another form of embarrassing sure. loss. I got to be honest, as far as like November run of the mill regular season games go, the Kings I would say disband the franchise, but it's almost like they're numb to having the, like they continually have these embarrassing losses, but that was, I mean, that's pathetic. Zero starters from last year. Their team was fully healthy. Who cares if they, uh, if Luke Walton just got fired, isn't that you're supposed to win? Yes. Yes. If there's one game, you're going to have full effort and Full focus. It's going to be your first game with a new coach. And and I don't want to take anything away from the Sixers because, you know, as I said after the game, you don't apologize when you're down five starters and win a game. It does not have to be pretty at all. And and they should be honestly thrilled <laughs> with how this road trip has gone. Yeah. So far, it's probably the best case scenario, getting two wins, getting to be over 500 when they're back in Philly. But there are two sides of the coin here. And from the Kings standpoint, that is just so brutal. Yep. I mean... This was the team that had multiple players off the table for Ben Simmons 
off the table. You can't, can't you can't, can't even get think rid of about putting Halliburton in there. You can't do it. You can't do it. <laughs> I don't know. I just I I was completely stunned. No, just, there is nobody in that mess of a franchise who should be untouchable. Nobody, nobody, nobody. You have nothing. Nothing to build around. And look, I, I, I don't mean that as a slight towards De'Aaron Fox, although I do think spending all that time there might have given him some bad habits or at least encouraged some bad habits because he is not the impact player that he should be. But there's nobody. For, for, look, maybe they don't just don't evaluate Ben Simmons all that highly, which is fair. I think everybody has different evaluations of him. But there's no untouchable on that roster. I, maybe there is untouchable for Ben Simmons. There's no flat-out untouchable on that roster because they are not good enough. And you're right. That was flat-out embarrassing. Just flat, like when you look at who the Sixers had available to them, we were joking about it beforehand. It's like, man, if you can just steal this game, come back on a 2-4 road trip above 500, that would be great. And your tweet was basically like, yeah, but like, look at who they're playing. Like It would be a minor miracle. Well, you got your minor miracle. And in order yeah. to do that, you really needed the Sacramento Kings to just... Well, I guess to be the Sacramento Kings, um, if, and they were. If they had Tobias and Seth, they would have won by 20 points last night. Sure. I mean, the Sixers didn't have anybody who could create offense outside of Maxi. It was, I mean, it was remarkable. They, for this undersized, less talented group to win a complete slugfest against Sacramento, that is completely embarrassing from the Kings' standpoint. And, uh yeah, I mean, your cat is showing more fight right now than the Kings showed in that game <laughs> last night. I just, I don't know, man. Dar- Darren Fox also, he's, you know, he's torched the Sixers at times over his career. He just looks slower than, than normal. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really bad loss. And uh, we would be, uh, I-, I wanted to say that because as good as I'm sure the Sixers felt, it was kind of their second feel-good win of the trip. Just as bad on the other side. Sure. Are you kidding me? How did you lose that game? I think the way you phrased it was right. Like, you should not apologize for being excited or happy about winning that game. Like, with who you had out of the lineup, that was a good win. And it's important for the standings. It's important just to feel better about yourself, to come back now. I'm going to count that Warriors game as a loss already. To come back 2-4 on the road trip. Um, you're, (laughs) You're in a decent enough spot. You get Embiid back. You get Harris back. You get some of these players back. Hopefully Curry isn't out for too long. You haven't, you've, you've acquitted yourself well enough. And with the way this road trip started, you know, that Pacers loss, understandable, a little disappointing. Then they got blown out by the jazz. They're going, well, can they sneak out too here? It didn't look very good at the time. Uh, the unexpected win over the nuggets. And now the quite frankly, unexpected win over the Kings considering who they had out. Because when you started looking at beforehand and going, well, what would be a successful road trip? And you and I were both like, well, two and four would be okay. Like, you wouldn't be super thrilled about it, but, like, that would be good enough. You were expecting Joel Embiid to come back at some point in that road trip. To this point, he hasn't done that yet. He's still out in the health and safety protocols. Stink out two of the last three wins here is huge. It's huge. And you don't want to take too much from it, because, quite, quite frankly, everyone on that floor last night is playing a different role than they will eventually play when you get some semblance of your team back. But just confidence-wise, standings-wise, very important to get those wins. I think there is a scenario. We will see what happens with Joe when he comes back. You know, Doc said yesterday that he's working out. Drew Hanlon has been Instagramming that he's at the in uh, Philly. facility in, in Philly. That's good news. Hopefully he's um, he's not dealing with any after effects or maybe minimal and, and he can get back. Maybe his, his knee got rested up. We will see what he looks like. 
If he looks like regular Joel Embiid in the next week or two, though, I could see a scenario in the next month where if everybody else can just get like some semblance of health, you don't need the entire roster healthy, but you just don't, you can't have this tire fire that's going on right now. And by the way, one other thing for that Warriors game, I would sit George Niang down. Yeah, he give looks, him five days yeah. off. He's playing way too many minutes. Uh, you should have seen him after the Portland game, man. He was, he looked like a football player after a game. Like he just, he was like not moving well. And he's continually playing all these minutes. And he's like, you can see him losing some touch on his jump shot. He's, he's dealing with a lot of, uh, of minutes, tough minutes here, just because Tobias has been out. But anyway, I could see a scenario in a month if they get somewhat healthy, even if I don't think like the roles the players are playing now, like I don't think uh, last night's four points in crunch time means like shake Milton, throw the ball to him at the end of the game. I do think there is like a level of confidence this group will have with a lot of these role players moving back into their normal roles and saying like, Hey, we did okay. Like we, we survived when we were like three spots ahead of where I should have been. You know, I was the crunch time option in normal times. I'm the ninth man, the eighth man, something like that. I do think there is a chance in a month we look back and say like, they got some confidence from that. So uh, yeah, don't take too much from what they're, uh, what they're doing right now, except the results and uh, maybe the vibes, even, you know, the, the ability to, just deal with adversity and, and get through that. But I do think it could be beneficial down the road. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and to your point, you know, their upcoming schedule wants to get back home. Timberwolves, magic Celtics, Hawks, and two against the Hornets. Now look, the Hawks are playing a little better now than they were at the beginning of the season. Same thing with the Hornets and, and even the Celtics are, are turning things around a little bit, but those are, you know, Compared to what you've gone up against here recently, those are winnable games, especially if you get Joel Embiid back, especially those first two games against the Wolves and the Magic. You're in a decent enough spot. And look, I don't know exactly where they are in the Eastern Conference right now. I would guess somewhere in the, yeah, I was going to guess somewhere in the seventh through ninth range. But they're, you know, all those teams are bunched up. I mean, they're, they're like a game and a half back. It's early enough. It doesn't matter. You can certainly get back up into the top three or four if you can start running some off here. For me, there are two priorities. Get your only back on the court. Can't really control that one too much. COVID is COVID. Uh, hopefully he comes back and he's not having too many lasting effects and see what you got in Tyrese Maxey. And that's what the first part of the season is about. And we certainly learned a lot about that here over the last few weeks. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with bet MGM this season. We'll be using the bet MGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for bet MGM yet, Use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TA Basketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 
800-631-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. That is the one thing you can like actually take the on-court the things that are happening on the court, the role the player is playing, what you are seeing in terms of like how he's attacking a defense. And I think that's something you actually can put stock in. So in the eight games that Tyrese Maxey has played here since Joel Embiid left the lineup, he is averaging 24.3 points, shooting 50.3% from the field, 43.2% from three on 4.6 attempts per game. Averaging 4.4 free throw attempts per night, which has gone up here over the last two. He got to the line 17 times here in the last two games. 4.5 assists and 0.5 turnovers. Pretty, pretty good. So I guess we'll start this off with a series of questions. And Max will probably be the focus of the majority of the podcast, because quite frankly, talking about Furkan Korkmaz's struggles just isn't all that interesting not only for you, the listeners, but also for the two co-hosts sitting right here. I guess major questions would be how much of this translates to when Joel Embiid is back on the court? How much can you rely on him to be that primary option in a playoff run like today or in May and June? And how much does that change what you do? Well, first of all, how much does that change your evaluation of his ultimate upside? And how much does that change what you look to do in a Ben Simmons trade? And all of these questions are fluid, but certainly he has given us enough now here over this eight-game sample to talk about. So let's start with the the first one you asked. Like, how does it translate when Joel comes back? I think it translates really well. I think you looked. Uh, I, I don't have the the data in front of me, but I, I believe they were playing with, with Maxi and no Embiid. Now, last night, it probably took a little bit of a hit because Maxie struggled scoring a little bit against the Kings. His shot was off. You know, he still had 20-plus points just because he had to be that guy. Was it 24 were, on 22 shots I think he ended yeah. up with? Yeah, because he just didn't have his touch for the first time in a while. Um, I think they were scoring at, at, like, a top, like, two or three offense in the league without Embiid on the floor. So do I think Maxie, yeah, I think that's a big deal, and... You know, you kind of wonder, like, I, I've always been on the train of Joel is not the greatest pick-and-roll player in the world just because it takes him a little while to get up on on pick-and-pops. And frankly, like, the shots he can get on, are on pick-and-rolls. And then on pick-and-pops, like, he can get those shots anyway from the post. All you got to do is throw him the ball, and he's, yep. he's wide open, essentially, because nobody's blocking his shot. Uh, I think that's something you have to look at, like, in terms of how can you get those two working together because – I mean, I, we knew this already, that, that Maxi's speed is just an overwhelming asset. Dude, it's crazy. He is just blowing by people right now. It's it's insane. And honestly, his ability to, he doesn't really even need to be all the way by you. As long as he gets even with yeah. you, he's got this crazy touch with his, uh, with his right hand to just be able to fade away and bank it in. He actually talked about it after the Portland game. He talked about... Uh, how he used to study Kyrie Irving and uh, not for uh, not for vaccine information, but in terms of under the rim finishing, which Kyrie is like, you, you say what you want about him as a player. 
one of the craftiest under the rim finishers in the history of the sure. game. Yep. Um, and Maxi has some of that, man. He's so, so how, how does this affect when Joe, Joe comes back? I think number one, you, you have somebody who you can run option. Like you can run offense through late in games. Like I think you could clearly just run a pick and roll with those two. And I would like to see what that looks like. Like we talked about, remember that Brooklyn game, the, the second game where they collapsed. I think at this point, if you got in that situation, it would be somewhat coaching malpractice to not just say, Joe, set a screen for him, three shooters on the other sure. on the sides. Let's see what happens. Right. Well, like, and the great thing with Maxi is sometimes those pick and rolls can be high turnover plays. The great thing with Maxi, and look, I've gotten on him about his low turnovers at times, sometimes a little snarkily on Twitter. And what I mean by that isn't that I want him making more turnovers, but I want him taking a little more risks using his speed to create opportunities for shooters. Like his speed is the one way the Sixers currently have of forcing a rotation, forcing the other team to rotate and create open shots. I'd like to see him press that a little bit more. That doesn't mean I want him necessarily turning the ball over more on the plays he's currently trying to make. So what's great about him is that he has very good ability to push the speed, push the tempo, and not make a mistake. So when you start getting in those like end-of-game situations, having someone who's just going to be able to get his shot and not turn the ball over is huge. And he getting can a half decent shot's yep. a big deal. Yep, yep. Com- completely agree with you. And the the other aspect of this too is like you watch like he struggled a little bit in that game against the Kings. Part of the reason was that they were kind of soft hedging, yeah. borderline switching. Like, but again, he's playing with Andre Drummond, right. who they're not really worried about because even if Andre Drummond gets all the way to the rim, if you contest it, he's not making the layup anyways. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> By the way, Andre Drummond, who turned into uh, Dennis Rodman yeah. down the stretch of that game yep. with the offensive rebound. And I thought he really struggled the first three quarters. Like he really, especially defensively, he was getting worked by Rashawn quite a bit. So I think for him to come out there and look, Rashawn was still on the floor there a lot in the fourth quarter for him to come out there and just be bigger and stronger and more dominant turned the game. It completely turned the game. And he's been struggling, I think, for quite a bit of this road trip. He's been struggling for two weeks. The, I, the Knicks game was the last yep. good game he played. And I think you're starting to see some of the concerns. A lot of people, myself included, you included, have him in the playoffs, especially, you know, that run, uh, the Utah and Denver games really showed when you put him in space, Utah with that spread pick and roll offense, Denver, because they have the most versatile big man I've ever seen. When you start putting him in space and not only just making him move his feet, but making him react mentally quickly he can struggle with that uh so for him to have a, an opportunity against sacramento to just bully his way inside and change a game was nice to see nice to see yeah the uh the utah game i mean that, that's a really hard offense to guard it's really hard but and, and playoff Denver, defenses especially when you start getting into the conference finals the finals they're going to be hard de- hard offenses to stop and and by the way he, he did a worse job than bassy on Jokic. That said, Jokic's first half was some of the craziest shit oh, yeah. I've ever seen. And so, like I, I wrote about that game, and I had some of the numbers with Bassey versus Drummond. Well, part of it, he just missed shots. And like one of yeah. them, he he posted up uh, Shake Milton and missed a shot, and he had a wide open free throw line jumper and missed it. Like he he just he became human for a split second. I also uh, he's not a look. He's a part of the embarrassing team, the Sacramento Kings. I, I miss Rashawn. He's a. Uh, He's turned into a much better rebounder than he was in uh, in Philly, and he's obviously a pretty fun offensive player. He's got that push shot now, which he didn't really have quite as much when he was in Philly. He was more of a dunker. But uh, he, anyway, he's still got the dunk. He still he dunk still him. has that. Yeah, yeah. 
except now he's not trailing by 30 every time he's uh he's doing no he's just no, losing maybe, to maybe the he's just losing to a, a 87 that doesn't have any yeah Okay, back to Maxi though. They will not switch with Embiid, right? And so that makes him, you know, regardless of how good of a screen Embiid sets, he has more gravity than the other guys that uh, that Maxi's playing with. And by the way, like Drummond, n- not as good of a, besides the finishing around the rim, like layups and stuff like that, you could see Maxi, he threw a couple oops to, to Bassey on this trip where it's like, all right, if you if you actually give him a legitimate lob threat, he he's a better passer for sure. Uh, I think I think like you said, like his next step is throwing like the skip passes to the yeah. other corner. I actually think he's a pretty good lob thrower. I thought he had a pretty good. Uh, he was pretty in sync with Dwight last year at times. Like I think he's pretty good at making that pass. Yeah, so I think um, they definitely have another option to explore now with. Uh, with Embiid, that you would you would hope like look, it's it's always going to be tough for him just because he's not a natural point guard. Yep. In that like finding the balance between getting other guys involved and go getting his own shot. Because by the way, he's reached a point where he's got to go get his own shot sometimes. That's it's a really big part of this uh, of this Sixers offense. So yeah, I, I think it you know d- does it make them championship contenders without Ben Simmons this year? No, but it makes them like a much more serious team, though, I would say, if he can keep this up. Because he's been playing lights out literally since the fourth game of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to your point, like, and, and look, if we start talking about areas where Maxi can grow, the, the co- this conversation where he needs to grow has been completely reframed. If uh, two months ago, where he needs to go would have been in the context of like to become a starter, to become an all-star caliber player. Maybe when I start talking about growth now, it's like, well, could he actually be a top perimeter option? Could he actually end up being an all NBA caliber player? Uh, that's the kind of growth we're talking about. So he has changed the discussion almost overnight. And when we start talking about where he needs to grow, well, the free throw line is still something I would love to see more of, but also the playmaking. Because there is a little bit of concern, especially with how short he is and the defensive struggles he's going to have. Putting another ball handler next to him, putting another point guard, shot creator, could be difficult at times just because, I mean, you look at it right now, him and Seth is a real tough backcourt to make competitive defensively. Real tough. And the number of players who can defend, 6'5", defend, and also create offense for others is pretty small. So if he can grow into being an elite, like, you know, one of the things that separates like Dame is he's a real good shot creator for others. He has real good court vision, real good creativity. He can create scoring opportunities for others. I would love to see Maxi grow in that regard. I do agree. He's not a natural point and which is fine. You can still have it's a fine. huge role for him, but to reach his own individual upside and the team's upside, it would be great to see him grow over the years. That'll be a, a you know, I think his size does hurt him a little bit in that regard. There are some passes. I think he just struggles to see, and I think he is just not the most creative passer in the world. Where he does benefit, though, is, and look, again, the turnovers are a double-edged sword. He is legitimately great at not making mistakes. He's very good at that. And as a microwave-type scorer, that's hugely beneficial. I'd just lo- love to see him grow a tiny bit and take a few more risks. But that is um, picking nits, and I'm picking nits because I'm trying to figure out what he needs to do to reach an absurd upside for a 21st overall pick. 
a 21 year old. I mean, yeah. you know, Jamal Murray's not a natural point. Nope. Donovan Mitchell's not a natural point. You can still be a pretty damn good player while, uh, while not having. Oh, he can be of... a damn good player. It's just, like I said, yeah. pairing him like Jamal Murray's a little bit unique in the fact that he's playing with a seven foot point guard. He's playing with a point guard. Yeah. yeah. That's, that just happens to be seven feet tall. Uh, the other thing too, I would say just like for the upside and, and this will come in time. It doesn't have to happen this year. Just taking a few more of those mid-range jumpers outside the three-point line. There's a little bit of uh, money left on the table. But look, I mean, there have been multiple times on this trip, even more this season, where, you know, if if he's in the right rhythm and the defense goes under on the pick and roll, he'll he'll fire it. And honestly, it's it's probably about once a game. Like, he, he tried one last night in Sacramento. It didn't go in. But it was a good shot. And it was like, it's... It's a cool situation because you're watching a Sixers game and you're seeing like a guy miss a shot and you're saying like, that's great though. Like that's, he was confident. The form looked good. All those, like, that's a great shot. Like yep. if, if he can continue to refine that, that'll be uh that'll be a big part of it. Because I, I just think if he has that level of gravity outside the three point line, his speed is just going to be over. Oh, completely. The basket. completely. And, and that's, he, about, that's partly why I, I focus so much on the passing, because if he has that speed and ability to get to the basket, like he can really, really become a huge impact player if he can make the most of those opportunities. And I mean, his, uh, his finishing at the rim has been great. Like he's, uh, it went down a little bit in last night's game, but he's in the 85th percentile of uh, point guards in terms of sh- shooting at the rim, like frequency. And he's in the 76th percentile in terms of how many he's making. You know, he's he's getting there a lot, and he's shooting 66% when he gets there. And that's, uh, you know, honestly, you don't really see many NBA guards in the half court just get uncontested layups because yeah. he crosses up a guy so bad, and he catches the pick-and-roll defender leaning the, long, the wrong way. And he does it, like, once, maybe twice a game. And that's that's very impressive. He's got the easy ones, and he also has the hard ones, like, that I, his, move he uh, put on Tristan Thompson, Tristan didn't have a chance. And that layup he made, he was going full speed. Like he, his ability to get a shot off at a million miles an hour is really something you don't see. And, and the Sixers, I thought for a while in that Portland game, which, you know, I, I really, it, it, in terms of this trip to, we're going to talk about the two wins, you know, Denver and, uh, and Sacramento. And the, like, look, it's for a team that's trying to keep their playoff position. Bottom line is that you need to win a couple of the games, but they were fairly competitive in a game that I didn't think they played all that well for a while. And the reason that happened is because Tyrese Maxey was insane down the stretch of that game. He was, I mean, obviously Portland has a little bit of an aggressive pick and roll scheme. They don't have the greatest personnel in the world but man he was just putting his head down he's getting fouled it was it was and awesome that was, to see. that was something where the first half i thought he wasn't pressing enough like i thought he was leaving plays on the table against a team that he had a chance to to have a big night against and in the second half you're right he brought him back he was huge uh which is is a kind of in-game adjustment that i think is great to see great to see so so like you said i think i think you put it the right way in terms of like how i view him moving forward he Again, we're early in the season, but this has been consistent enough and it has been emphatic enough to where you have to look at him in a different light than you looked at the beginning of the year. Like he is, he has moved the window of his high end outcomes, his low end outcome. Like this is great news. Like he is developing 
And uh, I think the the question is now like, how good can he get? You know yeah. how um, he looks like he's definitely going to be a starter for a while. Can he get better than that? And uh, you know, it's it's exciting. I think you know, obviously. The second he stepped on the court and started shooting those floaters, people were really excited just because the Sixers haven't had a lot of players like him. He's living up to the hype, I would say. So that's awesome. How how much do you factor that in on the Ben discussions? I think, like, I think if, we... if Dame Lillard just came out and was like, I actually like Philly. You don't. Tyrese Maxey doesn't stop that. No, I don't think so. No, I, okay. Just making sure. Dame is a different. <laughs> Dame Dame is different than he's he's untouchable for most players. Yeah, I would say no. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, but but okay, but if you did include Maxi in a trade, he is playing well enough now, where I think you go to Portland, you say you get Simmons, you get Maxi, and that's it. To your point, the list is very small now, very small, mm-hmm. and even if it comes up in that small list, he has so much more trade value right now than he had. Two months ago, uh, that it helps offset some of the shit show that's going on with the other point guard and his trade value. It really, it really does, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Where you know, I think we wondered when we talked about the Lillards of the world, of the top ten players of the world. Um, you know, did the Sixers have enough with Ben Simmons to compete with the entire league, who are also going to be on in on these players? Well, now, if you're willing to include Tyrese Maxey, I mean, you're not going to get beat by as many teams. Sure. Put it that way. Sure. I, I, I'm, I can hear everybody unsubscribing already. No, no. Didn't but, mean to talk about t- trading Tyrese Maxey. Uh, the, the point is, it, it, it would be a very small list. Uh, and I think yeah. we can probably move on from there. And that's what I mean. Like, if you're, if you're trading Ben for, if one of those top 10 players does not become available, then you're not trading Tyrese Maxey for that guy. Exactly. But... Do you now, are you comfortable with Tyrese being the primary shot creator? Or is that still what you would be targeting? And this is really what I meant to get into with the Ben trade talk uh, before we pissed everyone off. Do you still target a perimeter shot creator? Or do you say we have one, just get the best player? Uh, How do I feel about this? I mean, I I think if you were to, you still want a primary shot creator, I would say. I I still think if, if you were able to get a Lillard. If you, I mean, if ideally, if you could get a wing that that could do some of that and sure. play some defense, like an apex predator type of wing, that would fit better with Maxi. Uh, I'm certainly comfortable with Maxi being the shot creator at the end of games right now. He has earned that, I think. Uh, in terms of like what I'm targeting, I'm still targeting that skill set. If we're talking about a top five, top ten player, but. You know, outside of Dame, that list is really small. Yep. Dame has not played as well to start the year as well. I, I would like to see him go on a little bit of a uh, an old school Dame run to make you you know feel better about him being that still being that guy. Same thing with like Harden, I would say. And they both played a little better here over the past week or two. But yeah, he's still sure. not. Yeah, it's weird. He's still not. His like deep threes are not going in nearly as much as they used to. You know, I was at the game in Portland. I was just like, he he had a good game against the Sixers. Obviously, they don't have the greatest defensive personnel right now. But yeah, he's, I don't know. It, it feels like he still has a ways to go to get back to the Dame of 
the last few years. Uh, I would still target that type of player. But, you know, in the meantime, like, just try and get as much defense and, and shooting around Maxi and Embiid as you can. Yeah, and I think I think where it really comes into play, like, if you can get a top 10 player, you don't worry about the overlap too much. You just if it. you're getting yeah. Dame, like, okay. It's when you start going down that list and getting flawed players. That's when it starts becoming, well, can he defensively pair with Maxi? Is there overlap where you'd be minimizing Maxi? When you start getting into the, you know, borderline all-star type of players, that's where fit becomes a much bigger concern. Uh, so I think it, it ultimately depends on what Ben's trade value ends up being and who becomes available. Because someone like Dame, which we're using here as a hypothetical, if they become available and, and an option for the Sixers, it's because they want out and they want to go to the Sixers. So at that point, you know, you sort of just react to that. And I think if that happens, you thank your lucky stars and deal with the fit issues. But it is when you start moving down that list, that down that pecking order, that's where fit becomes a much bigger issue. And that's where Maxi's emergence does impact it, I think. I, I guess as a, a point of reference, like does Maxi's emergence make me second guess say a De'Aaron Fox level player? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, it's funny that we said like the list a few times. The, the Sixers actual list, their their 30 person sure. list that Sam Amick reported about, uh, you know, you can just assume like, you know, top 30 players in the league. I'm pretty much cutting off the bottom half of that list when it comes to including Maxi. Oh no, when I, when I was talking about um, that bottom half of the list, I was talking about that's where their fit playing with Maxi is a huge factor. Like I wouldn't like Maxi's emergence and his presence on the Sixers after the trade would make me second guess pairing De'Aaron Fox with Maxi, not including Maxi for De'Aaron Fox. That's a non-starter, but it would make me question De'Aaron Fox as a target. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like looking through the players, like who would even be available on the bottom half of that list, kind of in people's top 30. I'm really like, like Shea is really the only guy who's kind of making me think about that, honestly, yeah. um, who who fits the might be available and is an on ball creator type of guy. Yeah. It's like, like we, I don't want to talk about trading Maxi anymore. Cause frankly, I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon here as the Ben Simmons thing is, uh, is part of it. But like, let's just say like he is increasing the Sixers ability to win this year. And he is also making them, a healthier organization moving forward. I think it's safe to say. However that however that uh comes to fruition, whether that's trading him, whether that's him growing into an all-star level player, they're in a better spot because of how well he is playing. Yeah, 100%. And and this is this is sort of unexpected development that it seems like so many teams, the really good teams have dynasties are built a lot of times hitting somebody high in the draft. That's why we argued for tanking for so long. But also then a second hit much farther down the draft. You could go to, well, first of all, maybe Maxi's most direct comp in, in the Spurs. You know, they hit a couple of times there much later in the draft in uh, Parker and Ginobili. And then the Spurs later again with Kawhi Leonard. You need a secondary hit a lot of times to get that unexpected jolt in talent. And it seemed like the Sixers, they whiffed on so many top picks. So many top picks. And now to be sitting here relying on a 21st pick in the draft that you only got because a former teammate made an incredible shot in a meaningless game. 
and then that player developed well beyond any reasonable expectations. Well, first of all, it 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 you know it's it's a little stunning. Doesn't ha- doesn't seem like that happens in Philly all that much. But also, it is something where that is just so it changes the trajectory of the franchise. And for a team that really desperately needed a running mate for Embiid, that really desperately needed the skill set in the worst possible way, and that had just lost so many assets and so much value of their assets over the last five years, it is a jolt that could... I mean, we talk a lot about Joel Embiid and his prime and making sure that you take advantage of this opportunity. Maxi, in a very short amount of time, has made himself front and center of that possibility. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's not just that he's playing well, too. I mean, he's just so much fun to watch. It's crazy. I mean, he... And you really saw it on this trip. Like, when they play against Denver, and this was before Denver had all their guys hurt, too. Like, Jokic was playing in that game. I was, like, watching the beginning of that game. I was like, man, they really need a lot from Maxi tonight. Yeah. Guess what? They got a lot from him. I was watching the game in Sacramento. Man, how much pressure are they putting on this guy? And he didn't even shoot that well. But he's still like, he he really, it, it did not feel like a fluke. None of his baskets feel like a fluke. Like he's just very in control right now. And for a guy this young to be, I don't know, this poised and, and playing this well. Yeah, sure. There, there are areas where he can still get better. Like you said, the passing, like I said, the shooting. But that's just what makes it exciting because he's already this damn good. Yep. All right. Any other uh, stray thoughts here before we get out of here? Any other stray thoughts? I, I said Sidney Yang for the uh, for the Warriors game. I thought Doc coached a pretty good game last night. I thought he he talked about like wanting to slow the game down, and you know the Kings. I don't know. I feel like when Dave Yeager was coaching them, they would just like sprint the ball up and down the court with Fox, and it felt like they obliged and they played a really slow game. And the Sixers, with less players available, with less talent found a way to to win it in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, for somebody who, Doc, I feel like is the whipping boy for a lot of people, I, I do think you have to credit him when he wins with no fucking starters. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I thought I thought they were toast. I mean, Sacramento took the lead there in the middle of the third quarter, built it up to right around double digits, looked like the Sixers were running on fumes, uh, and they clawed their way back for sure. Yeah. So outside of that, I mean, it, it really like it, great. Thanks to Andre like, Drummond going all Wilt Chamberlain on their ass. Yeah, character building win, but not a lot of exciting details in the game. Oh, uh, Thibel was very good, and Incredible. it's good to see that yep. he is. Uh, it's good to see that he his like win looks pretty good. Like it, it's funny with him and Tobias, you kind of wondered how long the ramp up period would be. You know how they would look, how they would play, and I guess we'll see. You know, sometimes these you know, negative effects of COVID can, can last for a few months. I mean, Matisse played 30 something minutes last night and yep. was, you know, Buddy Heald makes like three threes in the first half. I think he had Niang guarding him for a little while. He had a bunch of other guys. And so Thibault who guarded Fox in that game in Sacramento last year at the end and shut him down. Well, now that Fox stinks, he had to guard <laughs> Heald and, uh, <laughs> he had to guard Heald and chase him around screens and he did an awesome job. And, he even uh, even sprinkled in a little bit of offense, had some some cutting. I do think his – I'm not, like, going crazy about his offense. I felt like he's he's a very opportunistic player, and the Kings give you opportunities yep. to get easy baskets. That is the exact way I phrased it in my uh, in my recap. Yep. 
But you, the defense looks still looks awesome. So if he if he could play against a dumbass defense every time, he would probably be able to do that every night. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, no, so he, he looks I, he looks good. That is the blueprint throw. Like he found a couple of cuts that he made to get him baskets. He had a couple out in transition. One he even led the break, which I mean, God bless, he got all the dribbles in there right. Made an open three, a catch and shoot three. Uh, he that is the blueprint to him being able to stay on the court for thirty five minutes. Unfortunately, you will play more disciplined team teams than these Sacramento Kings. But great to see, great to see. And I mean, it, it was just a ridiculous win. Like th- there were possessions in the fourth quarter where I think Andre Drummond and Niang had the ball at the top of the key with like four, five yeah. seconds left, and they got three points out of it. <laughs> Niang scored, and Drummond got fouled and made one. It's just. They gutted that one out. I mean, and again, the other team handed it to them, but you know what? Good for them for taking it. So, uh, yeah, not not a lot of other excitement from that. I mean, I thought, uh, again, again, they were competitive. It really, it was the only the, the Utah game was the one where they weren't competitive, and that's a team that can blow people out. Like, they, yep. they have the level of offensive firepower, and if you do not have a – if you're not making your threes, that's kind of – and especially when you're rim. talking about missing your four best defenders, like that is not the right team to go up against in that <laughs> regard. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been a good character building tr- character affirming trip. But again, like, as far as the details, eh, I'm not like too crazy about talking about them outside of maxi. Yep. All right. Sounds good. I think that's a good place to, uh, to cut it off there. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.